Well, turn with me to 2 Timothy. We're continuing our study, uh, Fan the Flame. And in this study, uh, we've been looking at the fact that uh, Paul is saying, we want you to fan the flame. He's telling Timothy, fan the flame, because when you, when you are on fire for the Lord, you burn up fuel. And you need to continually add fuel. You need to continually work at staying uh, sharp and moving forward and focused because there are many things that can come along and that can take away your joy, that can take away your zeal, that can take away uh, your energy. And you'll find yourself tired, ready to just throw up your hands and go, I'm done here. Uh, I'm, people are saying bad things. They don't like the ministry. Well, you go ahead and do it yourself. But the reality is that that's part of Satan's ploy to get us to stop. They let the flame go out. And Paul's saying to Timothy, some things have happened. Apparently they caused him even tears as we see at the beginning of the book to make the flame kind of die down, to get to just embers. And he says, fan the flame. Get it going again. And do it not by yourself. And he gets into chapter two and he says, what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, this communicate to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. In other words, don't do it alone. One of the things that I would tell you to do I want to encourage you to do is never do alone what you can do, take somebody else with you to do. And as you do, you will disciple them in some amazing ways. Take your children with you when you go and you do something for the Mansfield Mission Center or for a soup kitchen or one of those things. Take your kids with you. Take a friend with you. Call a friend and say, hey, come go with us. Grab one of your kids and come go with us. And they'll scare you to death and they'll scare them to death. And you'll come back and you go, wow, that was great. You'll want to do it again. I think that's what Paul has in mind here because the ministry is fun. It's exciting. It's something that's a joy to do and it scares us to death as we do it. When Paul gets into uh, talking to Timothy as he continues on, he says, now don't be, be quarrelsome about what you do. He says, when you get involved, he says, the purpose of your study, in fact, he tells us in, in 2 Timothy 2, he says, uh, do your best to present yourselves to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. He's telling this to Timothy, and he's saying, I want you to pass this along too. I want those who you disciple to have a love for God's word, so much so that you handle it accurately, but don't stop with just handling it and understanding it. Live it out in your life. And don't do it. Don't do all the study just so you can argue with somebody else, and you can argue better than they can. You know, you, you go to seminary, and, and I watched it happen to guys that, man, they were on fire for the Lord, and they were, man, they were sharing their faith, and they were doing all these things, and all of a sudden, they, 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 they get a little bit into their second year, and they're doing all this study and all these academics, and you can see the fire just kind of dwindling down, and they're not sharing their faith as much, and they're not engaged as much, and, and, and man, they can argue, and, they can, and, and you see them, and you get in the student center with them, and, and, uh, and, and we sit there and talk together, and, and man, they just can, they can argue the points. And I found myself, whenever I'd get around a group that was doing that, I'd just want to get up, and, and I did. I'd just kind of get up and say, i got to go, and i leave. But I'd get around a group of folks that were talking about the Word of God, and we're trying to understand it, and we're looking at it from every angle. I said, well, what about this, and what about that? And you find yourself getting excited about it, and then you find yourself going, hey, how do we live this out in our lives? And you hold each other a little bit accountable. Man. That is a whole different experience. And so Paul's saying, don't get involved in the quarrelsome side of it. That's not the purpose of it. The purpose of it is to live it out. 
And then in chapter 3, he tells us 18 things to avoid. Avoid these things. And as we looked at last time, the focus is that we become lovers of God rather than allowing our pleasures around us to become our chief end. And that we expect God's power to work rather than just having an appearance of godliness, rather than just playing the game. And that we are always seeking a knowledge of the truth. And that word knowledge is the word epigenosis, which means an experiential knowledge, that we experience the word, that we're not just studying it, we experience it. You know, this last week, if you've been watching uh, uh, the, the, you know, uh, I mean, every, every day for, for a few days after Kobe Bryant's helicopter went down in a horrible uh, crash and, and he and his daughter both were killed and, and, and seven other people as well. It really grabbed the heart of a whole lot of people in our nation. There were a number of different people wanting just to remember Kobe. And so because he had the number eight and the number 24, you would see these basketball games start and they would, they would do the tip and one team would, that got the ball would stand there and just dribble for eight seconds behind the line and they would have a violation. And they did it because of the number eight and the eight seconds to remember Kobe. And then they give it to the other team and the other team would go across the midcourt line and they have 24 seconds to make a shot and they would dribble out 24 seconds because that was his other number. And, you, and they did that in all these basketball games and then they had uh, at the Lakers game, they canceled one game and then they, when they finally had one at the Staples Center, they had his, his jersey on every single seat that they gave away. Half of the stadium, number eight, other half of the stadium, 24. They had to usher sing Amazing Grace. And you know, it's amazing how many people don't get what that song's really about. And yet they still love it. It still touches the core of their being. We love grace. And I, and I wish that people understood the gospel and understood Jesus Christ. And yet, God uses that, even things like that. To cause people to think about what's important in life. And that's what people begin to ask. What's important in life? And you heard all these different people, these celebrities and stuff saying, well, this, is, this really makes you focus on what's important in life. And you go, so what's important in life? It's different to a whole lot of folks, isn't it? For some people, it's family because it was a father and a daughter. A lot of people were really touched because of that. And so they said, it's family. We need, to, uh, we need to hug our children. We need to hug our families. We need to get close to those uh, that we're not close to. And some would say, no, it's correcting social injustice. And that needs to be our focus. And this should wake us up and get us thinking about what's important in life. Because life is short. For some, it would just be, well, let's have all the pleasure we can get until we die. Because life is short. For some, it's personal accomplishment. For some, it's, it's, it's the bucket list. I'm going I'm to fulfill everything on the bucket list and make sure that everything's taken care of. All these things that I wanted to see in my life and do in my life, I've done. And then how long does it last? Well, it lasts more than a few weeks and then people just get back to the normal stuff of life. I hope not. At some point, at periods of our lives, we need a wake-up call. We all need it. That wake-up call that gets us focused on what the chief aim of our life's going to be. When, when I am lying on my deathbed one day, and hopefully that's a long time off, when I'm laying on my deathbed, am I saying, God, I finished the race. 
Will I be able to say with Paul, I finished the race? Because I think when we think about our bucket list, how many of those bucket lists have something spiritual on them? You see, most of the time it's, oh, I want to see the Grand Canyon, or I want to go to France, or I want to go to Italy, or I want to go to, to, to you know, wherever. And I want to do this thing. I want to hike this mountain. And, and so we have all these things on our bucket list. And I ask the question, what are, where are the spiritual things on that list? Because we need spiritual things on there. We need things that we do for the Lord. Why is that? Because that's what Paul talks to Timothy about. In the middle of, of, of chapter 3, he begins to say, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life. What's our aim in life? My faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. And we don't want to go any further. We don't want to say those next two. My persecutions and sufferings. Nine things that he lists here. He says, you've been faithful to do these things. You have followed my example in this. Why does he say these things? He says, however, so he's saying, instead of doing the 19 things that are listed at the beginning of the chapter, lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient, I mean, all of that. He says, however, you have followed this. Here's a question. Paul says, Timothy, you followed my could we say to anyone, you have followed my faith, my aim in life? I mean, think about that. And at first you think, Paul, you're a little kind of arrogant here, right? He says, no, no, no. In 1 Corinthians 8, 1, he says, follow me as I imitate Christ. Follow, uh, now I just went blank on the, how it says it. 1 Corinthians I'll just read it. 1 Corinthians 8, or 2 Corinthians 8, 1. No, it's not either one. Oh, well. You look it up. <laughs> I got a new Bible here. It doesn't just flip to the paces I want it to flip. As I imitate Christ, be imitators of me. That's what Paul's saying. As he imitates Christ, can we say that, that we're imitating Christ and so that, that's the way we're supposed to uh, expect people to follow us? And, and that's what Paul's saying. He says, you, however, have followed that idea of following. And the word there, the literal meaning is follow near. You have followed near. We're supposed to be followers of Jesus Christ. Jesus says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. In a couple of weeks, we'll have Greg Lingle uh, starting a new series. We're going to be talking about what that means, what that looks like to follow Jesus Christ, to be a Christ follower. And I think here, Paul is saying, you have followed near my teaching. What is his teaching? Well, he, he talks about it. It's the word of God. We read one passage in 2 uh, uh, Timothy 2.15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. But then in chapter 3, we're going to look at here in a minute, he says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be a complete, equipped for every good work. 
the word of God. You followed my teaching and my teaching is the word of God. The word of God is powerful. The word of God is God breathed out. That same language is used of Adam when God breathed into him the breath of life. God breathed into the scriptures life. Moses in Deuteronomy tells those who are listening, he says, these are not idle words for you. They are your life. The word of God is our life. The word of God expresses life to us. That life comes through Jesus Christ, through his shed blood for us. And then when we put our faith in him, we have eternal life. He says, you, however, have followed my teaching. My conduct. He doesn't stop with just teaching. God didn't intend for us to be just academic Christians. He didn't intend for us to just be smarter sinners. He intended for us to actually live out the word of God. I mean, you see that right there, my conduct. You see at the end that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. He's designed us to work. He's designed us for every good work, to do good things, to change in our culture, to change our society, to be involved in different people's lives. We just saw what God's done in India. Started with one man. Finney's father moves north to India, in India, from southern India, 25% Christian, to northern India, less than half a percent. Persecution abounds in northern India, way more than southern. And he was willing to take his family there. And now over a million people have heard the gospel through different crusades that they've had, through different one-on-one conversations that pastors have had. I don't know how many people Finney's dad baptized but it was a lot over his lifetime and he would sleep on people's floor and he would he would he would he would share the gospel with them and he would invest in their lives and so when i think about paul saying you followed my teaching my conduct my aim in life what is the aim in life well in acts chapter 20 when paul's speaking to the ephesian elders He tells us what that aim in life is. He says, but I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish the course. And the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So what was his course? His testimony. Your testimony is more powerful than you can ever imagine. How you came to Jesus is more powerful. And many people say, well, I don't know how to share the gospel. All you got to do is share your testimony. Tell about how you came to Jesus. And there'll be people that you may not be able to answer a lot of people's questions. They may have all these questions. And you just, I mean, all you have to do is be like the person who Jesus uh, uh, healed this blind man. And his parents were interviewed by the Sanhedrin and said, you know, what happened here? And they, they just said, we don't know. All we know is he was blind, now he sees. And Jesus was the reason. And all we have to say is, I don't know, but I know, Jesus, I was blind about God and now I see. And my whole life has been changed and it's because of Jesus Christ and what he did for me on the cross. And here's what happened in my life. And here's what God continues to do in me. That was Paul. And we think, well, yeah, you were called to the ministry. No, we're all called to the ministry. In 2 Corinthians 5, it says in 5.17, many of you know that, that passage well. 
In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. If you've been reconciled to God, you've been given a ministry, and that ministry is reconciliation. And what is that ministry of reconciliation? He goes on and says, that is in Christ. God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him To be sin who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. He's called us all to that ministry, all to the ministry of reconciliation. That should be part of our bucket list. That should be part of our aim in life. And so my question to you is, so how are you going to add it to your aim in life this year? Maybe that aim in life is going to be to... uh, 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 just get invested and involved in one of these ministries and to give and begin to do that. That would be a great first step. Begin to pray over the next month and begin to add yourself in that list and say, Lord, where do you want me to serve? Where do you want me to get involved? And maybe that means going down to the Mansfield Mission Center and getting engaged and involved there. They always need volunteers. Maybe that means to get involved at the uh, uh, the Linda Nix Clinic, we've got a team of people that hopefully, I, I believe on the second Saturday of March, we're going to begin to, uh, Mansfield Bible Church is going to begin to serve people in our community through volunteers who are volunteer nurses, uh, 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 volunteer uh, people who check people in. You don't even have to know any nursing or medical if you just know how to check somebody in. Maybe that's what God wants you to do. And we're going to begin to do that in our community. There are four churches that are, that are doing that. So that people in our community that have no health service can get health service. What a great opportunity for the gospel. People will be sitting there. You can talk to some of them. And you think about maybe that means that you go overseas with us on one of our trips. And maybe you go to Ecuador with us. Maybe not this year because it's, uh, uh, but next year, maybe in 2021, that you get involved and say, we're going to go to Ecuador. Or you're going to go to India. I hope to go to India uh, at the end of this year. And, and so maybe your, your hope is, okay, God... Use me in India. I don't know what it is that God has for you specifically, but put that on your bucket list. It's on mine. On my bucket list, I don't, I don't ever see an end to my bucket list because I have these things that I want God to do in me. I had the opportunity to preach to 300 pastors in India and have an investment there to pay forward. I've been given opportunity for training and I get a chance to train other pastors and help them in their ministry to encourage them. I've been able to do the same thing. We've had uh, pastors conferences in, in Ecuador and there's now a, a, a group of about 50 to 60 pastors that we've been able to develop and another church has come alongside of us and, and has been investing in these pastors as well. Guys that in some cases didn't have a lot of training. Some of them could barely read and now they're stronger readers and they're getting better and they're becoming pastors who understand God's word. And I think, what is it that God has for you? Begin to add that to your list. Begin to have a spiritual aim. Paul, at the end of his life, said, I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I have kept the faith. That's just in the next chapter of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy 4, 7. 
He finished it. He felt like that he had reached the course of, that God had set for him. And Timothy was following his teaching, his conduct, his aim in life, my faith. I think about the fact that we are, uh, this issue of faith, faith is not a passive thing. It's not that I just sit down with my legs crossed on the floor and go, hmm, I believe, I believe. No, it's an active faith. If I believe, then I'm going to receive Jesus because the gospel is very simple. The gospel is faith alone in Christ alone. Simply that, that I put my faith in Jesus Christ. In fact, he talks about this uh, in, in regard to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3 in our chapter and verse 15. He says, and how from childhood, he says, in fact, in the verse before, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed knowing from whom you have learned it. Who did he learn it from? Chapter one, we know it was his mom and his grandmother. They must have read the scriptures to him. It says, and how from childhood you become acquainted with the sacred writings, which was able to make you wise for salvation. How? Through faith in Christ Jesus. Simple message. Faith in Jesus is all it takes. Salvation through faith in Christ. It's not through works in Christ. It's not through works in just God in general. It's in Jesus. There's no other way. There's no other name given under heaven by which we must be saved. Peter tells us in the book of Acts. Salvation is a simple thing. It's faith. Believing. And then when I believe, I take that step of receiving, as John 1.12 says, but as many as received him, to them he gives the right to come, become children of God. God's not going to force it upon us. He doesn't say to us as he walks up to us and says, here, I've got salvation for you, and you have to take it. Take it. And, and, and crams it down our shirt or down our throat. Yeah, you read. What you do is, and I have to watch her, because uh, <laughs> then I won't have a Bible to preach from. Uh, but you, you offer, the person receives. He doesn't force salvation on us. He offers it, and it's offered in Jesus Christ, and that's the only way. It's like the illustration that you've heard me say before about the guy who, who died. He was, his son had died before him, so he had no heir, and he had an, they had an auction for all of his stuff, and he was, he was a multimillionaire, and he had a mansion, and he had paintings, and he had gold and silver, all sorts of incredible stuff. And people were just jumping at the bit to bid on this stuff. And then he, the first item is there was a portrait of his son. He had died in the war. And, and this portrait of his son, they placed upon this, this uh, easel in order to hold it. And they said, we start the auction with this picture. Who wants to bid on the picture? And everybody's like, well, hurry up, get rid of that one. We want to move on to the important stuff, the good stuff. And so he said, a thousand, and he goes down to 500, and then he's down to 100, and he gets down to 50. The gardener who watched this kid grow up, he loved that kid. He watched him become a young man and go off to war, and he grieved with his father whenever he died. He paid 50 bucks for this painting. And then the guy slams the gavel down and says, the auction's over. And everybody goes, wait, wait, what about all the other stuff? He says, I couldn't tell you before, but the stipulations of the will read. You buy the picture of the sun, you get everything. 
And John tells us, he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. It's simply receiving the Son. It's that simple. He died for us. He paid the way. And God offers salvation to all who will believe. He says, continue in that. Continue in what you have learned. Continue to preach the gospel of your salvation. Continue to have that as your aim, your focus in life, your faith. And that that idea of faith, as we take that step of faith, faith isn't passive, it's active. It means that we step out. And so when you put that on your bucket list to a step of faith, it's going to scare you to death. And I thought about it as I was looking at it this week, because I thought, wait a minute, in the other list it says reckless over there in verse 4. Three forces, reckless. How is faith different from reckless? Well, sometimes faith looks kind of reckless, and yet it's a whole different purpose. Reckless is just a type A personality, just wants to have fun in life and just does whatever. No holes barred, no discipline, just goes after it, right? Well, God's got a place for the person with that personality. It's called faith, living by faith. Because I can tell you what, there's nothing more exciting than living by faith. Because you're doing something meaningful and you're doing it for the Lord and you're doing it in the name of Jesus Christ and you're doing it and it scares you to death to do it and, and yet when you do it and you get done, you go, wow, that was incredible. People have been scared to go to Ecuador have gone with us and come back and they're changed, they're touched, they're different. Put on your bucket list. Spiritual aims. Faith steps. My patience waiting on the Lord. My love agape that I'm just not focused on myself. That my life isn't all about me. My steadfastness that I hang in there and don't give up. That's why he says continue on. Why? Because there's plenty of temptation to give up. You'll do something and somebody will criticize what you're doing. And you go, I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm tired of somebody saying bad things about me. And Satan goes, ha, gotcha. I'm like, I'm not going to let Satan win. I'm not going to let him have the victory. I don't want you to let him win or have the victory. It means you continue on. You don't give up. You have steadfastness. And it's not in your own strength. It's in his power and his working. Persecutions and sufferings that happened at Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. His first missionary journey in Acts chapter 13 and 14. Read that this week. Because he talks about those three places. In the first place, they ran him off. Second place, they ran him off. Third place, Lystra, they, they stoned him, left him out for, for dead, dragged him out of the city and thought he was dead. And then he got up. Guess he wasn't dead. Either that or God brought him back to life. You know where Timothy's from? Acts 16.1, Lystra. He saw it happen. When Paul was talking about it, he knew exactly what happened because it was people from Antioch and Iconium who came and stirred up the people of Lystra. Paul gets up, and you know where the first place he goes? Back into Lystra. I would be the last place I would go. And then he goes back to Iconium, Antioch in that trip. Wow. He continued. He didn't give up. Paul finishes this chapter by saying all scripture is breathed out by God. God gives life to the scriptures. All scripture, what's, what are we talking about? We're talking about the 66 books that we hold in our hand. And at first you say, yeah, but who decided that? In Romans 3, 2, Paul says, 
What advantage has the Jew, what advantage has the Jews said great in every respect? First, they were entrusted with the oracles of God. They were entrusted with the word of God. They were the ones that were the keepers of the word. So what did they say was the word of God? Same 39 books that we have in the Old Testament. They agreed, those 39 books. Jesus also concurred with those 39 books. He did it differently in Luke eleven fifty one. In Luke eleven fifty one, he says, from the death of Abel, first death in Genesis, to the book of Zechariah, to, to the death of Zechariah, the blood of Zechariah, which is the last death in Second Chronicles. Chronologically, the end of the Old Testament. That excludes the Apocrypha, not included. So Jesus said, this is the scriptures. The Jews said, this is the scriptures. Same 39 books that we have, the same content. What about the New Testament? Was Paul referring to the New Testament? I think he was. And here's why. Because in 2 Peter 3.16, Peter says Paul's writings are scriptures. And he says it this way. He says, the untaught and unstable distort, he's talking about Paul's writings, untable and un unstable and untaught distort as they do also the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction. So Peter's saying all of Paul's writings are scripture. Paul said Luke's gospel is scripture because in 1 Timothy 5.18, he quotes two places, Moses and Luke. He says, as the scripture says, you shall not muzzle the threshing ox and the laborer is worthy of his wages, found nowhere in the Old Testament, only found in the Gospel of Luke. All Scripture is breathed out, given life by God, and it convicts our hearts. Uh, Hebrews 4.12 talks about how it, it, it divides between the joints and the spirits. It judges the thoughts and intents, so we get convicted by it. And in fact, that's why when, we, when he says it's breathed out by God and profitable for what? For teaching, so we, we get taught, we understand. For reproof which means it points out where I'm coming up short, as Hebrews 4.12 talks about. For correction, it doesn't leave me with just judged, but are convicted. It leaves me with, here's some things you can do. In fact, you see that in Scripture. You see that in this chapter. God says, don't do this, but do this. Don't live this way, lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, but live this way. Follow my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. He, he, he tells us what to do. If we just focus on don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, we become like that. If we figure out what God wants us to pursue and we begin to pursue it, then we leave these things behind. It's what Paul says in Galatians 5, that if we walk in the spirit, we will not fulfill the desires of the flesh automatically go a whole different way, a whole different direction. And God's word accomplishes that in our life. And so I want to encourage you, spend time in God's word. Look over this passage and ask yourself the question, what is my aim in life? And not an aim that's only going to last for a few weeks because I'm moved by, because somebody died. What is it going to be the long and the staying character of my life? And I want to encourage you to look over your bucket list and think about what spiritual aims does God have for me. Father, we come to you this morning and we thank you for your love for us. We thank you that you put up with our weaknesses, Father, and that you put up with, with the different struggles that we have and, and the ways in which we don't follow you. And, and yet you're so faithful and so patient because you cannot deny yourself.
Even when we're faithless, you're faithful. And so, Lord, we look to you. We look to you to to change us, to transform us, to make us different. Father, show us who you are. Show us, in fact, your beauty. Help us to expect your power to work in our world. We pray along with the, the prayer that you told your disciples to pray, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, we know on on earth it doesn't happen exactly like it does in heaven. Lord, we pray that it would become more so. That your will would be done more so here. And that it would resemble more heaven, at least in our hearts. And Lord, I pray that you would change us and that you will help us to take that step to make our aim something bigger and greater than this world. Lord, we love you. And we worship you today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.